Among the workers on the front line during this health crisis are our brothers and sisters who are transporting other essential workers to and from their jobs. They are members of the Transport Workers Union. They're testing positive to the coronavirus in staggering numbers. And even more alarming is how many have died. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. TWU members are responsible for getting the doctors and nurses, police officers, and other critical workers safely to and from their jobs in and around New York City. Other TWU members, including flight attendants and those on Amtrak, are also putting their own lives at risk to get people from point A to point B, regardless of the reason or actual need. On this podcast, we hear from a flight attendant, an Amtrak service worker, a member who works for the subway division in New York City, and John Samuelson, the international president of the Transport Workers Union, representing more than 150,000 members. First, what's going on in the airline industry? On the phone with me now is a member of TWU, a flight attendant based at JFK for a major airline. And we're going to refer to her as Jane because we need to protect her identity because there's some concerns, unfortunately, about speaking out. So, Jane, thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. So let me start. I'm happy um, to be here. How are you doing um, yourself? Are you healthy? I am. I'm I'm healthy. Yes. Good. Knock on wood. Good. So let's address right out of the gate the, the obvious. So why is it that you're concerned that you um, can't use your real name, Jane? I'm concerned because other people that I work with have posted things on social media, have been called into the office. And um, well, because I want to keep my job, essentially. So I think it's just better that I don't. Right. And also, this is kind of a big animal that we're dealing with. It's it's bigger than all of us. So you just don't know if you, you it's not safe to, to use your own name. Okay. So Jane, talk to us a little bit about what you're up against um, as a flight attendant. Uh, what, what are the risks that you're dealing with on a, on a daily basis? And what has your work environment been like throughout this health crisis? Well, on a daily basis, flight attendants in general, pandemic or no pandemic, are always in a cesspool of just dirtiness. Um, people regularly hand you their used facial tissue in your bare hand. It's just normal. You're walking through the cabin and they'll, they're handing you all kinds of stuff. Um, <clears throat> it isn't until recently, in the last two weeks, actually, because our union put pressure, TW put pressure on our management to allow us to wear masks and gloves during all phases of flight that we feel at least a little bit more protected. But it, it, it almost happened a bit too late because we've we've had casualties. We've had four coworkers that have died oh, as wow. a result of the coronavirus. So <clears throat> what's happening now isn't really that much different than what we normally deal with in that the planes are trashed always. Uh, you would think that because people have um, some education on what not to leave behind that they would, but that's not the case. So they leave behind their used gloves, their used masks, their disinfectant wipes, and we're supposed to pick them up for them. We still have to clean the plane after every flight. So, I mean, naturally, you can assume how we're, you know, being presented with all kinds of contaminants. 
you know. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So I'm wondering when this first came about, when we started all realizing how serious that this was, the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. and you, you know, explaining how you're taking, you know, use things from people on a regular basis. Was it pretty immediate that you folks started realizing, well, wait a minute, we've got to do things differently? Actually, you know, at the beginning, I don't know if it is because the company played it down or I don't, I really don't know what the case was. We weren't as nervous at first, but I think also because we weren't being told, listen, this is what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. and as it became something that wasn't going away, then you really did start to think to yourself, oh my gosh, this is a lot worse than we all thought. So um, we started to really fear for our lives because we have such close contact with people, you know. Right. And you've got people coming in and out from all different areas and you have no idea what they're bringing on board with well, them. Actually, that that's a problem right now because we have um, so we have certain borders closed, right, where the Americans aren't allowed into certain countries. However, those people are allowed to come back. So we're flying empty planes to those countries. And then people who aren't being tested and are walking around in certain countries where they only get fined 30 bucks if they're going to a restaurant or whatnot, they're coming back on our planes and we're bringing them into the United States. So we're propagating this pandemic. Right. So that's, yeah, that's distressing in its own right. Um, So um, what uh, are you, I mean, I'm sure dealing with the the fact that you've lost four coworkers, Mm -hmm. uh, are you angry? Are you angry at the company for not doing more? I mean, this, do you feel this could have been prevented? I mean, what are those emotions that you're feeling? I'm going to cry. (laughs) Um, well, yes, deep sadness that I've that I've lost um, people that I know and love and work with. Um, but also, yes, I feel that a lot of this could have been prevented with precautionary measures. Our union is constantly having to request um, or implore, I should say, better safeguards for our for our health. I mean, we're only started wearing masks two weeks ago forgot that's say. unbelievable unbelievable and on top of that they had to be they had to meet certain requirements they had to be certain colors they had to be this that the other thing now only recently are we allowed to wear whatever we can find and it really is whatever we can find because they're not supplying them either so <laughs> that's another problem um but yeah the whole thing is very distressing i'm distressed that we have um flight attendants who are of an age where if they could, they really should not be working, but they can't take the voluntary leave because they don't have the seniority to be able to do so. And partly because we've got supervisors who are taking the leave instead and they trump them in seniority. So that's Mm -hmm. a big problem. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you go into a supervisor's office and there's this big rope barricade separating you from them. So clearly they understand the gravity of the situation, but they don't apply it to the aircraft. We've got, um, we've got aircraft scheduled to go out in May with up to a hundred passengers on the plane. Now I can tell you that there is no airline that has that much leg room. <laughs> so clearly they're not meeting the social distance guidelines. So how does that work? I mean, what, how, how, you just I don't how does it work? They're just doing it. And um 
on top of that, they're offering fares to people to make it desirable to fly. So you could go pretty much anywhere round trip for 20 bucks right now. And I can tell you that the same people that are taking advantage of these low fares to get wherever they want to go to go enjoy themselves are clearly not taking this as seriously as we are. So you can imagine that they don't care about their health. They're not going to care about yours. So those are the people that leave all their gloves and masks and doodads behind. So you can't tell or force the passengers to wear protective gear? No, not only that, we do not have a general public announcement that we say. Like you go into some grocery stores today and they are constantly piping out their their public announcements saying, this is what we're doing. You're going to line up here. You're going to keep a, a social distance between you. None of that on the airplane. Nothing. What do you have we, for, we, for? We can't actually. We can't actually make unscripted public announcements. That's just insane. I, what do you have for PPE right now? What do we have for what? For PPE, the protective um, equipment, the protective oh, personal equipment. Um, well, basically just masks and gloves. I mean, you mean other than things that are on board generally, like oxygen, those kinds. Of well, things. no, I'm thinking I mean, with what you've just described that you should be like in a full body suit. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. That's that's actually, I think, um, that would make me feel safer. Um, no, just a glove, just gloves and, and masks. That's it. So what do you, what in is... In fact, we're supposed to actually take the mask off in order to make those public announcements that don't require people to do anything special. Oh, my gosh. And we're also supposed to not wear them during our safety demonstration. What would be your, I mean, I don't know how many people might be listening that I actually will get on an airplane, but if, what do you want them to know? I mean, you know, what, what's your message to them in order to keep you guys safe? Well, I think the main message is don't fly right now. Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, like to the general public, just don't fly. Nothing is that important where you have to get from point A to point B. And if you do, then you've got to respect the other people around you, including the people working for you as human beings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't, I think, I mean, in general, I don't think people think of flight attendants as human beings, but particularly now. You know, it's it's important. It's, you know, even in the food store, these poor essential workers that are that are working there, they're trying to maneuver people into separate lines or whatever, and they get attitude for doing that. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's no humanity even now, even now in the face of a pandemic. And I feel that there is no human component at our job right now. They're not taking into consideration how unsafe this is to book the flight up to 100 people. It's, it's, it's insane to me. Yeah, it sure sounds it. And Jane, and again, not, not your real name, but Jane, when you go home, what is that stress like? Like, what do you do to prepare yourself to then go into your own home to your family? It's super stressful. I have to basically strip down at the, at the door because I don't want to bring anything that has been contaminated on the aircraft into my home, my shoes, my whole uniform, just leave it there, throw it in a bag. Um, and then, you know, wash it. I have to do the same thing for my husband, who's a first responder. And that's difficult. We have two little kids that we're both responsible for. Imagine if we both get sick. No, I, you know? I can't. Right. Um, 
So there's that. Um, And yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like for people who aren't awarded the time off if they don't have the seniority to do so and have a similar situation where they have a sick person at home that they have to care for. Now the kids are home from school, so there's got to be somebody around. And um, if you're not senior enough to do that, then, oh, well, too bad for you. They should at least allow the flight attendants to stay home without any disciplinary action. And that's not happening right now. Well, Jane, I want to thank you for being so, you know, open and willing to share what you're dealing with. I think it's really important for people to understand and and maybe it will help change some attitudes, like you said, to, you know, stop flying right now. Um, And uh, we hope that you are able to stay safe and stay healthy and same to your family as well. And thank you very much for what you're doing every day throughout this. We really, really want to thank you. and We appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for letting me express my thoughts. Okay, you take care. You too. Hi, Amy. Can you introduce yourself uh, for our listeners? My name's Amy Griffin. I'm president of Local 1460 with the Transport Workers Union. I represent onboard service members with Amtrak. I also work with Amtrak as an onboard service, lead service attendant. I worked on high-speed Acela trains, first class, and I have 32 years with Amtrak. Well, thank you for agreeing to talk to us and um, share your experience, Amy. So are you on the Amtrak that's going out of, in and out of the busy uh, Penn Station? No, actually, I work out of Washington, D.C., up to uh, through New York to Boston and back. I also represent a majority of my members work out of New York Penn Station and Boston, and also we have nationwide. So um, tell us a little bit about what it's been like in your line of work. What is it, um, what is it that uh, you're dealing with on a daily basis throughout this pandemic? Um, right now, unfortunately, like everyone else, um, Amtrak has very um, reduced schedule, very limited service. Um, a lot of my members are um, on what they call the extra board and are guaranteed um, 150 hours a month. We are um, working. We have some jobs that are going out, and our members are rotated in and out on those trains to work those jobs. Do your members have the protective equipment that they need to do their job safely during this health crisis? Um, as of right now, yes. Uh, this week, they just received masks that they're handing out to um, everyone on board service that report and also who are in the station to protect the trains that are running. And um, that we also just received gloves, but we just received this this week. And how how did that happen? Were um, Was this Amtrak go, just stepping forward and doing this for you or was the union involved? No, it was my union involved, actually, uh, Transport Workers Union, and um, I'm under the rail division with TWU, and it was the director of my rail division um, in coordination with myself and other local representatives to push Amtrak that uh, we would need masks, and um, they finally did receive them. Well, that's that's good to hear, and I'm glad that your union was able to do that for you. What about the people who are on the trains? Um, are you seeing people who are also taking these precautions? As in passengers, yes, yes. So folks are wearing gloves and masks and that type of thing? Majority, yes, are wearing uh, masks and gloves. And are you able... And, um, and... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I know. I was just going to say we also have implemented Amtrak has implemented social distancing on the trains. That's exactly what I was going to ask. So you are able to do that. The trains aren't that crowded that you're able to keep that social distancing. Correct. So do you feel, um, I don't know if this is a tough question, I guess, do you feel relatively safe with the protections that you have, Amy, or are you are you concerned every day when you go into work? Of course, I'm concerned every day due to this um, um, coronavirus. But we are, um, Amtrak is um, cleaning and disinfecting equipment daily. I've seen them do it. They're disinfecting and cleaning the rails out in their yards. So I relatively do feel safe at Amtrak, yes. Well, it's it's good to hear that, you know, a company is taking that kind of, uh, those kind of safety precautions because it's not what we're hearing from other industries. Um, So that's reassuring. What about at the end of the day, you know, when you go home at the end of the day, um, and I don't know if you're going home to, you know, alone or if there's other family that you have to be concerned about and their safety? Um. Unfortunately, um, I live alone now because, unfortunately, my husband passed two years ago. But um, I, I feel safe at home. Uh, you know, I, I did normal like everyone else, disinfect and clean and um, move on in life. Do you have any message uh, for those of us who might be getting on a, a train? Anything that you want us to know that might help keep us all safer, Amy? Um, I would just say, um, like, to follow the CDC guidelines of, you know, social distancing, masks or face coverings if you have it, and um, we're there for you. We're there to help. We're there to support. We're there to continue keeping the nation moved through this um, hard time. Well, that's that's great to hear that in what you're willing to do for others who may have to move around. We really appreciate that. And um, most importantly, Amy, I'm really glad to hear that Amtrak's taking the necessary steps to keep those trains clean for all of us and that you have uh, the protective gear that you need. That's very reassuring. So we appreciate you for everything that you're doing every day. And I hope that you're able to continue to stay healthy and strong. Thank you, and um, I hope you stay safe and strong and everyone else as we muddle through this um, hard times in this country. All right. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Eric Logel is the vice president for Rapid Transit Operations Department of TWU Local 100. And Eric, um, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Can so tell us a little bit about what the RTO department is. What what is what is your members do? What do they do? So the RTO department is the lifeblood of New York City. Um, we represent more than seven thousand transit workers in New York City in the job titles of train operator, the people who drive the trains, uh, conductor. Um, who operate the doors and make announcements, and tower operators who control the signals and switches. Okay, so um, your membership has been has been deemed essential throughout this, uh, obviously. So, how what are some of the challenges that your members have been facing? They have been facing every challenge imaginable. Um, our members are doing God's work right now. I mean, they are out there under incredibly difficult conditions. Um, this virus, of course, has taken a tremendous toll 
on the state and the city of New York and um, the ranks of transit workers and our own CW members. So, you know, they're dealing with fear. Uh, they're dealing with people around them uh, getting sick. Uh, tragically, um, a number of our uh, members have passed. Um, they're still doing their jobs. They're out there operating these trains, moving these trains, getting the essential workers of New York City around town because there's still folks, whether they're first responders or healthcare workers or even people who work in grocery stores and pharmacies that can't stay home and we can't stay home. So they're out there on these front lines, operating these trains, uh, dealing with the challenges that that involves while simultaneously um, trying to protect themselves from the virus. And the, um, the ridership in New York City, of course, has uh, decreased dramatically mm -hmm. from about five and a half to six million people a day down to about 400,000 people a day. So with less ridership, there is less train service and the schedules, the work schedules as a result, um, have been disrupted. So they're doing all of this with work schedules that are not what they're normally accustomed to in terms of, um, where they report, um, the hours that they work, um, which is, you know, a, a very important thing um, in a workplace that's based on seniority. But they're nevertheless, they've risen to the challenge. Yeah, they, they certainly have. And, you know, when you were saying the ridership has been, you know, drastically reduced, but the people who are riding on the subway are the people who are more likely to be exposed to this, including your membership, right? Because you've got the nurses and the doctors or the grocery store workers. And so these are the folks that your members are moving around. And as a result of this, we've seen this just incredible, alarming number of your members who have lost their lives. And um, Eric, are you in a position that you have to, um, you're reaching out to some of the families of your members to, to talk to them about this horrible loss? Yes, that's one of the things that I've been doing. Um, I've been making phone calls and speaking to um, the children, in some cases the parents, um, siblings um, of our members who have passed, um, you know, to express my condolences, um, my gratitude for their service, and to walk them through, you know, um, what's going to happen next, because, you know, this is in many cases, the breadwinner mm -hmm. of the family who's, who they've now lost. This is huge. Mm -hmm. This is like a, um, a, a monumental, um, loss and it's scary. It's tragic. It's sad. It's heartbreaking and it, it causes uncertainty. So, you know, I try to explain to them um, that we're here to help in any way that we can and to guide them through the next steps. And then, Eric, on the other side of that, you're, you're how what do you say to your members 
knowing they've just lost, you know, um, a coworker to this. And now you're saying to them, you know, look, be safe, be careful, but, you know, carry on. What do you say to them? It's, it's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. Um, my prevailing message throughout all of this has been safety to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary, uh, to protect yourself, to protect your loved ones and to protect your coworkers, uh, during this time. So safety precautions, um, PPE, which as we know, scandalously in this country has been very difficult to come by. Mm -hmm. Uh, this union has been able to push the MTA to obtain uh, supplies of PPE. And if it's not available at a particular location, we get involved immediately. Um, we don't think it's safe uh, at this time to, to do the job without the PPE. So let us know. Don't do anything unsafe. Don't take any unnecessary chances or risks. And of course, if, if you're feeling like you're not up to it, you know, like you might be coming down with something by all means, stay home. Don't come in. Don't risk it. Stay home until you're better and take as much time as you need. Well, that's thank you uh, for that, Eric. And um, I just want to say uh, thank you for coming on the, the podcast and, and explaining to us what some of your members are going through right now. All of your members, they're really true heroes. I mean, these are folks who didn't sign up to, you know, run into a burning building or, you know, be a police officer. And here they are. It's it risking their own lives every day. So we really appreciate all they're doing. And, um, and thank you for coming on the program for us. Please stay healthy. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity. John Samuelson is the international president of the Transport Workers Union, and he's also a member of our executive council at the New York State AFL-CIO, and he's on the line with us. John, welcome to the Union Strong podcast, and thank you for taking the time to come on today. Pleasure to be here. John, your members are moving frontline workers to and from their jobs every day. They themselves are on the front lines of this pandemic in cities all across the United States. Can you describe for our listeners who your members are and what role they have during this health crisis? Yeah, so we represent um, workers in public transit, workers in the aviation industry. That would be jet mechanics, fleet ops, airline dispatches. We have 26,000 flight attendants. We have a lot of members in the railroad industry, both passenger and freight rail. We represent bike share workers. We represent tour bus workers, utility workers. We even represent workers at Bernard and Columbia University that do the plant maintenance. So we're well diversified. We're basically an industrial transport sector union. And would the um, the ones that have been uh, you know on the subways, the trains, the uh, airlines, what what have they been dealing with throughout this crisis? A nightmare. That's what they've been dealing with, and 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 a nightmare that that caught every employer and really every state municipality and the federal government flat footed. So on the public transit side, we do recognize the vital cog that transit workers play. 
in in this societal fight back against COVID-19. Um, so we embrace that responsibility, but it comes with reciprocal responsibilities to provide us with personal protective equipment that's sufficient enough to protect us against COVID-19. It also comes with responsibilities by the employer to engage in um, decompression of workplaces in order that we don't spread the virus as well throughout the transit system and throughout the workforce. And you've lost an incredible number of members to this disease already, right? What, what, how many members have you lost? As of today, which is Wednesday morning, we have lost 57 nationally, uh, 49 of those being transit workers and 42 of those being TW Local 100 members in New York City. And I can't imagine, I'm sure there's many more who have also become ill and maybe are in quarantine. I can't even imagine what those numbers are. Yeah, we have close to 6,000 members nationally in quarantine. A, a big majority of those are in New York. So unfortunately, the epicenter of the virus in the United States is New York. And New York City transit workers, just by from that alone, are exposed, but also the New York City transit system is really just such an effective, an effective spreader of the virus. Um, and the early fights regarding PPE and what the advice was from the CDC regarding workers wearing masks, all of that has taken its toll, um, particularly in New York. Right. They just really were told to use that protective equipment too late and weren't didn't have access to it, right? I mean, didn't you do something to make sure they had masks and gloves? Yeah, well, very early on in this fight, the MTA took the position that they were going to follow the guidelines of the CDC. The union overrode that. We really just steamrolled the MTA, started providing our own masks to transit workers. Um, by the time the MTA had masks and other personal protective equipment distributed throughout the system, um, enough time had gone by where there has now been a really a, a heartbreaking uh, impact in terms of fatalities. So in the middle of this whole pandemic, there was a bright spot yesterday because you won a major victory, and that's the line of duty benefit for MTA members. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we ratified a contract at Local 100, which is the biggest unit at the MTA, about 40,000 um, bus side and rail side transit workers, subway and bus workers. So we ratified a contract just before COVID-19, and we we actually doubled the death benefit in the contract. The line of duty death benefit was 250 and we doubled it to $500,000. But yesterday we were able to really compel, compel the company to not only, not only give that to TW Local 100 members, but to every TW unit on the property. We have four locals on the property and it expanded from there to the entire workforce. So, you know, the hard work of TW Local 100 actually delivered a $500,000 death benefit to the families who lost loved ones um, in, the, in this fight against COVID-19 who were employed by the MTA. And that's what's so important is is getting that coverage to make sure that it, it applies to what you're dealing with right now with so many deaths because it's related to having to work and then getting this horrible coronavirus, right? Well, we had the line of duty death benefit in the contract since around 2002. And 
it's there really just because of the inherently dangerous nature of the work we do. Um, we've we've persisted in increasing it to the point where we've now gotten it to five hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't done because we saw COVID nineteen coming. It was done because of the inherent danger of the work, which certainly includes something like COVID nineteen. Okay, I understand. And so now the point is all of these people who died have died already. And sadly, there probably will be more because of COVID-19. We'll now be able to um, have this $500,000 death benefit um, for their families that they leave behind. Yes, it doesn't replace a husband or a wife or a mommy or a daddy, but it does cushion the blow a little bit. And, and we're, we're proud that the, the trade union movement compelled that to happen. So, John, what else are you fighting for right now? I mean, is there anything else um, that you're focusing on for any kind of assistance or compensation or hazardous duty pay or anything like that in the works? Certainly the fight over hazard pay is coming. This this is the this is the next issue that we'll be dealing with. Um, transit workers have risked their lives enough. Transit workers right now that are coming out of quarantine are making determinations about whether or not to even come back to work after having gone through what they went through Mm -hmm. or having gone through the infection of COVID-19 and survived it. So hazard pay is going to be a topic of conversation that we will hotly pursue beginning this week. On the safety side, on the health and safety side, what's become um, a glaring problem is that public transit is is, is dealt with municipality by municipality, state by state, city by city. There is no uniform code across the country as there are in other national industries like the airline industry, for instance, where the FAA has uniform standards. And so um, the FTA or OSHA have to step up right now and create a uniform set of standards so that the response to pandemics like COVID-19 are the same in San Francisco, the same in Dallas, the same in New York. Right now, the place where workers have the highest level of protection is where the trade union is on the property fighting like hell against the company in order to secure uh, proper protective equipment, personal protect protective equipment consistently and, and high quality equipment and also workplace procedures. So we have cities right now that as much as there is a, a high death toll in New York, there was a, a massive fight back by the union to achieve the level of safety that we have now. That there, this, there are fights going on in San Francisco, Miami, several other cities where, they, where there is no such thing right now as social distancing on buses. There's no rear door boarding. There's no consistent issuance of personal protective equipment. And so we're, we're, we're fighting that fight nationally right now with the FTA in order to institute mandate standards rather than, rather than just give recommendations to municipal transit operators that run their own, they, that do really what they want to do. And that, um, yeah, and then you, you have the unfortunate insight of being able to see what happened right here in New York State. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense to try to get, you know, yeah, some kind of uniform. Just, yeah, just here in the New York region, uh, Governor Murphy made a declaration that nobody could enter into a public or private transit system in New Jersey without a face covering right alongside, right across the Hudson River in New York, that that had not happened. So folks that were required to get on the Jersey side and New Jersey transit with the face covering didn't have to wear it when they got into Manhattan. And 
that, that's an it's unfortunate, but it's an it's it's the greatest indicator that a national standard is needed, both in terms of what personal protective equipment is issued to workers and also what passengers are required to do in the midst of a pandemic such as this. So we heard from one of your members who works for an airline and another one who works um, for Amtrak. Both were really appreciative of what their union has been able to do for them. But there was um, a difference in how companies have responded to the crisis. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, it's particularly at the airline, it sounded really like a bad situation, while over at Amtrak, it was a little more um, positive. Amtrak's been a cooperative, a cooperative employer during this pandemic, both in terms of economics and health and safety of workers. The airline industry is really um, being overlooked right now because of the massive hits that public transit workers are taking, but flight attendants are absolutely on the front line of this flight. Flight attendants are transporting medical professionals, health and safety professionals, public health professionals back and forth still. So planes are flying. And yeah, as much as there are national standards that are issued by the FAA about the maintenance of planes and the, and the, and working conditions for jet mechanics and fleet operations, there's there's a really it's it's far too relaxed mm-hmm. um, in terms of worker safety, and the and we've asked the FAA to step up and issue uniform standards that airlines must comply with to protect flight attendants in particular. They have the most they have the most contact with um, airline passengers. The FAA has done some of that in terms of relaxing social distancing. Um, or taking measures to increase social distancing on planes for flight attendants, but it's certainly not enough. So, so while while initially some airlines issued personal protective equipment, others didn't. Some airlines are having their planes professionally decontaminated. Other airlines are not, and uh, and this is a, it's a problem. And again, it's a problem that re- requires a national solution. It, the carriers themselves can never be relied on to provide a high level of safety for either the passengers or the workers that just they're interested in making money. They're not interested in protecting anybody's health. Right. So let me ask you this. So while we're still reeling in the middle of this pandemic, I did want to get your thoughts, though, about reopening the economy, because I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that as it relates to your members. It's got to be in the back of your mind. Well, the interesting thing about asking um, a transport sector union leader about reopening the economy is the economy never shut down for us. Well, that's true. We, we have been the ones on the front lines bringing nurses, paramedics, food service workers um, right to the right to the place where this epidemic is being met head on by society. So and if we're talking about reopening the New York City subway system full throttle right now, we have a system in place, a work program where half our workforce is home. Um, at any given moment, and we've done that to decompress the workplace and and I to to decrease the density in in our workplaces. And certainly, I don't think we're at a point in this pandemic in New York where we can reopen the New York City transit system full throttle. But one thing that's becoming also taken on a great level of clarity during this pandemic is the folks who do the work in this world are blue collar Americans. Mm-hmm. The folks that are doing the work in New York are blue collar New Yorkers. And where we see compression density on the trains or in the working neighborhoods in New York, 
So we've we've come to the MTA and they've complied at least to, in, to some degree, but it needs to be expanded about redeploying um, train and bus capacity out of Manhattan, where these wealthy folks are doing nothing but binge watching Netflix right now as blue collar New Yorkers take on this fight. Uh, so we're redeploying buses right now, fluent neighborhoods of Manhattan, um, Park Slope, for instance, and and deploying them into the neighborhoods where working people are actually responding to this pandemic. And we're doing that to try to decrease the density on the trains. We've done it with some positive effect by rerouting or redeploying buses from the Upper East Side into the Bronx. And that that has to become the norm rather than rather than just sporadically occurring. And so finally, John, I'd like to just give you an opportunity for your members who are listening to this podcast. What would be your message to them? My first message to them is don't work unsafe. If you're a TW member or if you're any worker, for that matter, in New York State, don't work unsafe. Don't let these bosses use us as cannon fodder. We go to work every day. We should come home in one piece. When we go to work every day, we should come home in a way that we don't infect our families with this virus. Just don't let the bosses bully you into working unsafe. That's 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 the most important thing I have to say. All right. Well, John Samuelson, on behalf of our president, Mario Salento, I want to say thank you for all that you're doing for your members. And I hope that you stay safe and stay stay healthy. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, John. Bye bye. Joining me on the podcast now is our digital director, Kevin Eidsman. Kevin, how are you doing? Good. Boy, um, this is a real eye opener when you hear from these folks who are right on the front lines, isn't it? It's it's a tragedy when when you hear about what they're going through and and the struggles that they're going through and um, the adversities that they faced that they're still out there doing their jobs despite all the difficulties and, and everything. It's it's an eye opener of stuff that didn't didn't quite realize was taking place. And and so the governor um, earlier today just said that, um, you know, all of us should be now wearing the masks and the gloves. So that's. That's good that people are going to be told they must do that, because when you hear about people on the airlines and they've got passengers not wearing them and on the subways and people aren't wearing them, you know, these workers need to be protected, too. And we can all help in that. It's going to going to be a big, big difference, uh, something people should be doing if you have to travel, uh, which hopefully stay home. But if you have to travel, make sure you're being safe and protecting the workers and everybody around you. And then uh, we also want people to pay attention. I know you've, you're getting some message out there all over social media on what people can do to, to help get this next stimulus package um, finished up and wrapped up and make sure they're addressing the concerns of workers. Absolutely. The, the number one thing uh, we need done right now is to uh, send a letter to your senator and your congress uh, person. We have it on our website, on social media, um, to take action on it. It's really an inclusive letter that uh, talks about hazard pay and public infrastructure and uh, relief for our public sector workers. Uh, it, it covers a wide range of things and it needs to be done in the next uh, Corona relief package. Uh, so we need everybody, 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 everybody to take action on that and make sure that their voices are being heard. All right, very good. Thank you, Kevin, and stay safe. Thank you, Darcy, you too. 
Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.